right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time to say. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's going on? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer, Derek Johnson on vacation. So we're back with more Nick Chalk Sports Talk today. And tomorrow, actually, as uh, Derek is on vacation. So, a very, very busy week here. So, kind of a bad time for Derek to go on vacation, considering everything that's gone on. Uh, Big 12 Media Days wrapped up yesterday for the men. We've got a lot of reaction to that. We've got some special interviews we were able to get while we were out uh, at the T-Mobile Center uh, yesterday with some uh, national writers and some local writers as well. So, we're going to be playing a lot of different audio over the course of the next couple days from Bill Self, from uh, different interviews we had, like I said, and and uh, some of the players as well. So tons of audio coming your way today and tomorrow. We'll probably get to the majority of the Bill Self audio tomorrow. There's going to be some, I'm going I'm to break it down a little bit later on in the show and some of the most interesting things that he said, but I think we'll actually get to it tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, so Big 12 Media Day comes to a close. Kansas preseason number one team in the country. And that was certainly reflected in the media attention that the Jayhawks were getting yesterday at the T-Mobile Center as uh, lots of people had lots of questions for Bill Self and for the Jayhawks. And number one, preseason number one team in the country, picked first in the Big 12. Uh, when you look at some of the biggest storylines for KU coming into this season, I think probably near the top has got to be, can KU live up to the hype? I mean, preseason number one, you've got the number one transfer in the country in Hunter Dickinson who has shown that he's just an outspoken star. You know, He had some, had some comments that have been circulating a lot. Uh, today, yesterday, about uh, how he's happy that KU's the number one team and whatnot, and that's cool to see. And, and yeah, so the question now becomes for KU: Can they live up to the hype? Can this team, you know, with everything surrounding what's going on, you put the IARPs to bed, IARP case to bed? Bill Self seems like he's maybe more motivated than ever before uh, to go out and and prove that he's one of the best coaches, if not the best coach in college basketball. You've obviously got exceptional talent with Hunter Dickinson, but then beyond that, you've got uh, some newcomers that are really special players. You've got the best passing point guard in the country in Dewan Harris. I mean, you look at this team for Kansas, and there are certainly some some questions, which which we'll get into, but I think for the most part, this is this is a very, very hyped season for KU, and can they live up to that hype, right? Can this team live up to that hype in an era of the new Big 12 where you bring in a, another team team that should be competing for the Big 12 title in Houston, who looks like they're as strong as ever under Kelvin Sampson. You, you look at the non-conference schedule that KU has, uh, you go down and look at the Maui Invitational, which will be played in Honolulu, and you've got five of the top 11 teams there. KU's going to play the defending national champions at Allen Fieldhouse in UConn, also play Indiana. Like, There's going to be a lot of pressure on this team, I think, to succeed early, and We'll we'll see how it plays out, right? Because if if KU does have some troubles early, and they you know there there is some they do need to take some time to get going. They could lose some games early in the season, and and I wonder how much that might uh, possibly take some steam off of the off of the uh, hype train, so to speak. So, 
Yeah, I think that's the biggest question. Is King live to the hype, right? And, and Derek and I did our did our deep dive on on preseason number one teams and how they fared in the NCAA tournament over the last eighteen years, and they normally fail. They normally fare pretty good. Now, obviously, for Kansas has been kind of the outlier in the past, uh, where they've had some teams that have been preseason number one and, and not made it out of the first weekend. But I think overall, you still have to feel pretty good, right? You still have to feel pretty good. You've got the number. You've got the best coach in the country. Uh, you figure with the health scare behind him and the IARP case behind him that he he's locked and loaded and, and ready to, to be more than focused on this season. And like I said, you've got the best transfer player in, in the country in Hunter Dickinson and maybe one of the best big men in the country uh, in Hunter Dickinson as well. And what does Bill Self love? He loves himself, his big man. And he you know didn't really have one and now finally has one again with Hunter Dickinson. So that's that, that's got to be exciting. That's got to be exciting. And I'm sure there's a lot of excitement inside uh, those offices of Allen Fieldhouse. And so that's a really big question. Can they live up to it? Can this KU team live up to it, to that hype? And, you know, I think beyond that, you 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 do have a lot of really talented players, but you got to kind of smash them together. And how's that going to work, right? Uh, KJ Adams has proven to be an adaptable player uh, that is willing to work as hard as anybody else to fit into whatever role is needed of him. That's been shown over the past couple seasons, and now he'll have to do it again this season, right? He's going to have to do it again with Hunter Dickinson, working with Hunter Dickinson, and what's that going to look like? Is that going to be a seamless transition with Dickinson and K.J. Adams? Uh, and then you bring in Dewan Harris into the equation, Kevin McCuller, and then you've got that two-guard spot that's kind of up in the air with a guy like Nick Timberlake or Marco Jackson, but how does K.J. Adams fit in with Hunter Dickinson? What, what does that look like? And it's hard to say, right? I mean, I think we saw a little bit of a taste of it from uh, the, the trip to Puerto Rico, but there's probably going to be some tinkering. And I think the my biggest takeaway really has just been whatever this team looks like in November and December, it's probably not going to look the same come February, right? That's that's kind of that's kind of how Bill Self coach teams work. There's an there's an evolution process, right? There's a there is a there is a process to where specifically they want to try to be the best when it counts the most in February and March. And Bill Self actually touched on that, you know. Uh, when he was actually he was talking about the expanded conference schedule and, and how KU has handled their comp- their scheduling, and basically saying, you know, you can't let the losses get to us and realize that, you know, with how tough a schedule we play, we might, you know, it, it might be a situation where we are just it's a process thing, or we're trying to get better towards uh, the end of you know February and March. So, I, I thought that was a, a bit of an interesting take there, but but yeah, how does that fit in, you know? But the, the reality situation is there's nobody that's probably better at fitting puzzle pieces together than Bill Self, right? I mean, he's he's phenomenal. That's that's kind of what he does. So I, I have a lot of confidence that the lineup with KJ Adams and Hunter Dickinson is going to work out one way or the other. And then you throw in, you know, Kevin McCuller and, and Dewan Harris as well. So I have a lot of confidence that it's going to work out. I think it's very possible that it could look a little rough around the edges to start the season. And again, that kind of goes back to the idea of, well, if you're playing a really tough schedule out the gate, is it possible you have two or three losses by the time you get through December? Maybe. I don't I don't know. I mean, obviously I don't want that to happen, but I don't I don't think it's out of the normal possibility considering what KU schedule is looking like. So if it is a little rough around their edges, I don't I'm gonna try not to overreact to that basically because I, I think the Bills over the course of the season is going to figure it out. And and honestly, to that end, it has to be figured out because this is a very, very thin KU team, really, beyond uh, what they have. So if if it's not working with Hunter Dickinson and KJ Adams, you don't have another option. Like you, you have to make that that work. You're going to have to make it work. And so, and, and I'm sure Bill Self is aware of that. You know, he talked about the fact that 
they're down to nine scholarship players, right? And that I think that's another big storyline of this team is is that an issue? If if you is the lack of depth an issue, either from the standpoint of if you have you know the the team as constructed right now, where maybe some pieces aren't quite fitting in properly, but you don't really have a choice to play anybody else, or obviously the dreaded injury bug. If that comes up for Kansas, how does that affect them? Right? I mean, you look at a guy like Kevin McCuller who has dealt with injuries and been kind of uh, you know tripped up by injuries quite a bit over the course of his career. I don't know how okay, I don't know how much Kansas can afford that uh, from Kevin McCuller, you know, and then and then you know what if a guy like Dewan Harris who battled through some injuries as well last season, what if what if he goes down and now you're looking at possibly having to use El Marco Jackson, your true freshman, as as a point guard? So I think the depth question and the injury question is is very fair. Is very fair to very fair to ask. Uh, you know, this is this is how Kansas has decided to build their team basically. Uh, after last season with the intense roster turnover and, and having guys leave. And, and, you know, Zach Clements was a guy that they weren't even expecting to have on the roster, and uh, he ended up coming back. So so that that is a, a serious question because you flash back to after the, that, that whole time period in April and May, and I think in the minds of K fans, you're thinking, all right, you get Hunter Dickinson, and then you can have Ernest Uday and K.J. Adams, or you can have Hunter Dickinson and – uh, Zuby Ejiofor and KJ Adams. Well, obviously both those guys ended up uh, leaving the program. So now, so now you are really down to those two guys. I mean, you have Parker Brown as well, who Bill Self has spoken highly of, but but you don't want to. That's not a guy I think you want to be seeing playing a lot of minutes. So I think that injury question is very serious and is, is is a very serious thing to consider because this is a team that really needs to stay healthy given that kind of lack of depth that they have across the board. Uh, and so that's that's going to be a critical factor. That's going to be a critical factor. And then you you look at the depth in terms of will that wear down a team? You know, uh, the big talk obviously is that Bill Self generally by January and February and March he's only playing seven or eight guys anyways. But over the course of a whole season, I think that's that's got to wear on wear on a guy, right? Especially when you're playing the the type of schedule that KU is playing. So uh, I don't know. That that's another big storyline for me. That's another big storyline for for this team is. Do they have any injuries? Do they have to worry about that? Do uh, does does the depth become a problem? Do guys start to you know wear down and get tired over the course of the season? So, obviously, that's not something we'd probably see early in the year. That might be an issue that comes up you know once you get into the into the grind of Big Twelve conference play. Uh, but we'll we'll see how things shake out. So I'll be very curious about that. And you know, with KJ Adams, if he's able to actually have a successful mid range or outside game. I mean that could be what is the difference maker between KU, you know, having those troubles and maybe not having those troubles if he can play like that and, and stretch out opposing defenses and whatnot. And and I I still believe that KJ Adams is probably the X factor for this Kansas team uh, in terms of I think he's I think he's got a pretty high floor, but if he can hit his ceiling really as a defender, as a scorer, as a rebounder. I mean, he, he's going to have a lot of opportunities. You know, Bill Self alluded to this uh, towards the end of last year during conference play of saying, well, you know, K.J. Adams' rebounding numbers are actually lower because he's he's been he was the one tasked with trying to box out the big guys, and he was doing a good job. He just wasn't always getting the ball. And so now you almost have to wonder, what if, what if K.J. Adams' numbers do go up because of that? Because now there's a guy like Hunter Dickinson. Does that free up K.J. Adams to be more of an X-factor type player? And is he capable of, of stepping into that role if it's there. 
Uh, I, I'm just really fascinated by the KJ Adams situation and, and what he's going to be looking like. And then I think the other big storyline for this team is going to be the three-point shooting situation, right? Can Kevin McCuller increase his three-point shooting percentage by a little bit on pretty high volume? Can Dewan Harris contribute from the three-point line? Because I, I don't know if you just really if you just solely are going to be basically relying on Nick Timberlake. I don't know how well that's going to work out because I don't know how much Nick Timberlake is going to be able to feasibly play game in and game out. I mean, if his defense is is a bit more of a liability, and that's obviously something Bill Self cares very much about, I wonder if just the fact that his defense is maybe not the level of some of these other guys, if that puts kind of an artificial cap on the number of minutes Nick Timberlake is going to be able to play. So basically when he's not on the floor, you where is your shooting coming from? Is it coming from Kevin McCuller? Is it coming from Dewan Harris? How much are we really going to see Hunter Dickinson step out and shoot threes? I don't think we're going to see a ton of it, but who knows, right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe that that's part of the design, and you put K.J. Adams more down low and, and let Hunter Dickinson kind of roam around on the perimeter. I, I don't know. Uh, and then, you know, again, with Kevin McCuller, can he increase his, his percentage a little bit and be more of a reliable three-point shooter? Because there were games where he was hitting, but there were other games where he wasn't. And obviously, it's the same thing with DeWan Harris. He had a couple of games where he was scorching the nets, but maybe not uh, on a consistent enough basis at a high enough volume either. So that that's a big question, right? But on the flip side of that, does KU necessarily need to be an elite three-point shooting team? I don't think so. I mean, when you look at past uh, national champions, a lot of times they are in the you know upper half or even in, even higher in the country in big in three-point shooting and Three-point shooting can definitely be something that can carry a team through it through like the NCAA tournament, but uh, the, you know the 2022 national champions for Kansas they weren't a particularly elite three-point shooting team, but they did have guys that you felt like could knock them down. So I guess I don't know. Maybe do you have a guy that's more of that clutch three-point shooter? Uh, like can, can can Kevin McCuller emerge as that? Can Dewan Harris become more of a clutch guy, or is it or is it just going to be Nick Timberlake? So I don't know that KU necessarily needs to be a a really elite three-point shooting team, but you, it has to be a, a sizable chunk of of what you're trying to do offensively. Because uh, I don't, you know, I don't know. Depending on what opponent you're facing, it may not be it may not be as easy as just throwing it to to, to Hunter Dickinson or, or KJ Adams or whatever, and, and you know the shots have to fall. So I, I think that's a big question as well. I think that's a big question as well. Uh, you know, we'll we'll see how that plays out. But uh, the three-point shooting is something I'm definitely curious about, and. And Nick Timberlake, Bill Self said it yesterday that he Nick, Nick Timberlake is the best three-point shooter on the team, and I think he has to be. I think he does have to be uh, the best three-point shooter on the team for KU to maybe get to uh, where they want to be, right, which is obviously cutting the nets down uh, and winning the national championship. So uh, those are just some of the big storylines kind of from uh, from media days as well. I, you know, and you look, at, you look around the rest of the league, You've got to, you've got Houston. Obviously, Texas looks like a talented team, but Rodney Terry, it, it, this is sort of a prove it year. I think there are a couple teams uh, in the Big Twelve that are in sort of prove it year situations. Texas being one of them, and I think I think Kansas State's in it too. I think Kansas State's team might be as good as last year's, but they're in a prove it year for me too. They're in a prove it year for me too with uh, with Drum Tank. So Drum Tank and Rodney Terry, to me, those are those are two schools that are in prove it years, uh, which means that you know if they can't, maybe they might not be up there. I think you have to look at Baylor and say that they're probably going to be, you know, hanging around the top five area. I would say, uh, but to, to me, and I think Derek echoed this on our show yesterday, Kansas and Houston are kind of in a tier on their own right now. 
and we'll see how things play out. But they're on a tier on their own, and I think you could make a case for three or four or five different teams that are maybe close, but are definitely in a second tier below that. Uh, and so, you know, but could a could a Baylor jump up? Could a Texas jump up? Could a Kansas State jump up? I think it's possible. I think it's possible, but I think for now it's definitely KU and Houston sitting at the top. And and I think I I, I have some questions about Houston. I don't. I think Houston will will be a really really good team, but you could be a really really good team and still end up going twelve and six or eleven and seven in the Big Twelve, and that's probably not going to be good enough to put you in a position to win the Big Twelve title. So I'm curious about Houston. I'm curious about all the newcomers. It was cool to see some of the newcomer schools. Uh, at Big 12 Media Day yesterday, and and hear from some of those some of the coaches and some of the the new players as well that that are coming into the Big 12, and obviously the the old Big 12 teams as well. Because then you start to look down further along this this conference. West Virginia obviously has tons of questions. Texas Tech, uh, you know, with with Grant McCaslin, we'll we'll, we'll see, right? Uh, Oklahoma State, we'll see. Oklahoma, maybe kind of a make or break year for Porter Mosier. I, I don't know. So. There's definitely questions around the league, certainly. And for Kansas, you know, to sit at the mountaintop to start the season feels pretty good. But I know for a fact that, that they want to be sitting at the mountain, mountaintop at the end of the season uh, before they want to sit at the uh, at the beginning. All right, so that's kind of some of the big storylines from around uh, Big 12 Media Day and for KU as well. We're going to get more into that and react more a little bit more to what Bill Self said uh, at Media Day yesterday coming up later on in the show. Like I said, we'll probably get to the Bill Self audio uh, fully of everything he said. We'll probably get more to more into that uh, on tomorrow's show and actually be able to play some of that audio on tomorrow's show. Uh, Henry Greenstein is going to join the show coming up at the 4 o'clock hour. Brian Haney is going to join the show in about 15 minutes from now as well to talk more about uh, K football and KU basketball. But uh, the Chiefs, they made a significant, significant trade yesterday. And it's it's one that uh, I think certainly has me excited. We'll touch on that next here on Rock Talk Sports Talk. We're going to take a timeout. Like I said, Brian Haney is going to join the show in about 15 minutes. Henry Greenstein coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. More reactions to KU uh, on the basketball side on Media Day as well coming up. And also some interviews we have as well from Big 12 Media Day that we'll get to as well later on in the show. We'll take a time right now. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is on vacation today, and boy, he picked a bad day to miss out because the Kansas City Chiefs have made a significant trade. They made it actually yesterday afternoon. Kansas City traded back for Cole Hardman, one of my personal favorite players. Uh, Cole Hardman is back with the Chiefs. He was actually, they literally had, they put him straight on the podium today. He's back with the Chiefs uh, at the in to sort of try to strengthen that wide receiver room. Uh, Miko Hardman is back. They swapped late round picks uh, with the Jets to bring him back in, and I had kind of—I mean, I had kind of thought that the Chiefs would not bring back Miko Hardman just because you had the chance to re-sign him. Like, would you really, you know, then trade back for him? Uh, and I guess I was wrong about that uh, because they did trade back for him, and it sounds like they might be bringing back Frank Clark as well. So bringing back some guys into the organization and. And uh, you know, on one hand, it's uh, Derek calls it the sunken foul, the sunken cost fallacy, where it's like, okay, well, you're not going to bring him back just because he had the chance and you didn't. But you know, the more the more I started thinking about it, if if you're the Chiefs and you are looking to make a move to strengthen the wide receiver room, which by the way, Andy Reid said they weren't. We'll get to that later on in the show and lie detector test. But yeah, I mean, 
it's 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 interesting. It's definitely a, a move that I, I don't really think that I was expecting. I'm not saying that I wasn't expect I wasn't expecting any move from the Chiefs. So the trade deadline is is uh, Halloween actually, August 31st. So the Chiefs still have plenty of time to make another move if they wanted to. Uh, but yeah, th- this one's this one's interesting, right? Because Miko Hardman with the Chiefs was at best a an above average gadget player, right? Uh, he's got obviously a ton of speed and and it kind of has maybe seemed like defenses aren't respecting what the Chiefs have to offer uh, in terms of speed, and uh, you know that's 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 something that's interesting because at the end of the day. Does does Miko Hardman really move the needle? That that was kind of my big question when I kept circling back to the idea of the Chiefs possibly trading for uh, an, a wide receiver. Is do these guys really move the needle? Does this guy really move the needle? Right? Like I'm I'm, I'm hearing people throw out names like oh Darnell Mooney, uh, Terrence Marshall's now sound like he might want to trade from Carolina. So uh, it's <laughs> do those guys really move the needle? I, I don't know. Does Miko Hardman even move the needle? It, it's tough to say. He does know the team though, so. That's obviously a big bonus. He does know the team, and uh, so that's maybe that helps out with the fact that uh, he he knows the team a little bit. So uh, our, our programming director Joel Becker has stepped into the studio, and I think he wants to give a message here. Joel, uh, how you doing? I'm doing great. I just wanted to say that I think there were two reasons why they signed McCall Hardman. Okay, one traded for him. Uh, yeah, traded for him. <laughs> uh, one was they wanted to make sure that you had an opportunity to get yeah. your own McCall Hardman True. jersey. So I have stated in the past that the qualifications for me to buy a jersey. First of all, I only own two Chiefs jerseys, Eric Berry and Patch Mahomes. And one of the qualifications, Chiefs jerseys in general, not just Chiefs jerseys, any general, any jerseys are very expensive. So one of the qualifications I have is you, I have to be sure that you are going to be on the team for X amount of time I know so that I don't buy a jersey and then you leave. Well, now that Michael Hardman's back, does he qualify? Do you think so? I suppose. <laughs> sure. I so think I you know. should get a 17 jersey with your own name on it. Well, so the 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 real question here is Richie James is 17 for the Chiefs this yeah. season. Yeah, yeah, so, he's going to have to pick something out, so, or, or he's going to have to buy the number off of him. Yeah, well, I I believe I saw a report that said he's going to going to be wearing number 12. Okay. So Montreal Washington was wearing 12. The, the guy that was being the punt returner for the Chiefs, the Chiefs have waived him presumably to make room for for Miko Hardman. So 12, I think, might be his number for the time being. And I don't know. Are there rules on changing numbers like midseason? Like I don't know. Can he can he buy the number from Richie James midseason? I think so. I, I don't know. Honestly, that yeah. has to be something I'd have to look into. As long as you're not wearing the same number as somebody else in the in yeah. you know in the same game, I don't think there, there's a problem with that. Yeah. I wonder if that means that McCall Hardman is going to be our new punt returner. I would I would assume so. Yeah. I would assume that he's going to be punt returning. And then, uh, you know, the fact that he does know the system, but I would imagine there's still going to be some time a time where he has to get up to speed a little bit. And when you look at the Chiefs' upcoming schedule, you know, uh, I think uh, what would make the most sense is they have the Germany game coming up in a few weeks. So maybe after the Germany game, after the bye, that's when you start to see him fully reintegrated back into the offense. Uh, I don't know. But, see, I will always push back on that because, like, especially for a guy like B. Cole, if you're going to run a jet sweep with Michael Hardman, what, is, what does he have to know? He just runs in motion and you give him the yeah. ball and then run. Plus, he's already played in this system before. It's not yeah. like he doesn't know. But in his his case, he's the replacement for Justin Watson, you know, being injured, at least for the short term. So all yeah. you have to know down there is run fast down that way. Yeah, and, and, and I don't, I mean, it shouldn't be alarming at all the fact that uh, for Chiefs fans, you're sitting here and you're saying, and you're concerned about Justin Watson being injured. 
Does that is that an indictment you think of the uh, Chiefs wide receiving room right now? I think that should be pretty telling. I, I should also <laughs> mention, by the way, that I think you are the only person who is excited about McCall Hardman coming back to town. Oh, I'm thrilled. In I'm the thrilled. in the in the way that you are. I'm not saying that it, there that people don't so, like okay. him or anything like that. Yeah, I just well, don't think that most people think it's gonna be a game changer. I don't think I don't think it's gonna be a game changer either. So basically a little bit of backstory here, lore on the McCall Hardman situation with me is that People didn't like him a lot when he was first on the team, and so I just decided I was going to like him just because everyone else didn't like him. Okay. And then it, that just turned into me being a fan of him. And now that now here we are. Now here we are. He's a great guy. <laughs> so and he can run fast. <laughs> yeah. So maybe he can help uh, take the top off the defense a little bit because that does seem like something the Chiefs have been missing, right? I well, mean, absolutely. I, that's the thing is that it's it's a amazing testimony to Patrick. You know that that we can have the performance we have with eight number four receivers. Yeah, and I will say, you know, the Chiefs are five and one. They're probably the best team in the NFL right now. I know a lot of people are concerned about the wide receiver room or concerned about the offense, whatever. It's gonna be fine. In the words of Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, relax. Yeah, it's uh, the fu- the funny thing is, is we're having success now, and it can only get better. Either in a worst case scenario. It will stay the way it is. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if the Chiefs are done making moves, but uh, this is certainly an interesting one, especially given Andy Reid's comments a couple weeks ago that he said that he thought the wide receiver production was was fine. I, well, so. and I, I when I say get better, I mean people like Rasheed Rice just getting better. Yeah. Or Sky Moore realizing he's a professional, you know, football player or whatever. Yeah, it seems like Sky Moore might have a little bit extra work to do. But uh, yeah, the Chiefs make the trade for McCole Hardman, and uh, yeah, so that's very exciting. We'll get more into the Chiefs tomorrow uh, and preview that game with the Chiefs coming up against the Chargers, another AFC West division rival coming up uh, on tomorrow's show. Joel, thanks so much for for, for popping in real quick. My pleasure. Uh, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, we'll have the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, join the show to talk about uh, KU football and break down also. More from uh, Big 12 Media Days yesterday. We're going to get more into Big 12 Media Days also later on in the show. Henry Greenside of the Lawrence Journal World is going to join us as well coming up in the 4 o'clock hour uh, t- with more Big 12 Media Day talk. So a lot of that coming up on the show as well. Brian Haney joins us next. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer, Derek Johnson on vacation today. But... The show goes on, and as always on Thursdays, we're joined by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. Brian, how are you doing? You, you've been a busy guy, and we're getting close to crossover season. Uh, how are you doing? Hey, doing well. You know, the uh, the bye week hits at a good time with Big 12 Media Day for basketball, coinciding with a, a week when we don't have a game to get set for. So, yeah, crossover season is about here. And we always talk about how busy it is, but, man, we're blessed to get to do what we do, and especially with – Two programs that are both doing as well as they are. Yeah, it, it keeps us on our toes, but it's it's a fun kind of busy, the best kind of busy, honestly. And hopefully we'll have a chance to do a whole lot of winning and a whole lot of great game recaps over the next month here on our CST. Yeah, going back to that game against Oklahoma State for Kansas on, on the gridiron that didn't go their way. But, you know, Derek and I were talking about this earlier in the week. Uh, I went down to the game. Obviously, you were there. I was in Stillwater. And I, I walked out of that stadium uh, frustrated, right? And it was kind of a new feeling because KU had str- had had so many struggles on the road over the course of the past decade plus. And I, I don't know how did how did you feel maybe walking out of the, out of the state after after a game like that where it felt like KU maybe had some missed opportunities and, and maybe could have won that game on the road. Yeah, I, I think frustrated is a good word for it. I think disappointed because as we talked about on last week's episode, we felt like we had the better team heading down there. We hadn't been able to say that since 2007 an average losing margin over the previous six losses of 39 points per game. And so 
to go down there as a, a team that was picked to win by a lot of people and not win stinks. But at the same time, you have to understand that the margin for error in this league is pretty thin, especially when you're not at full strength yourselves. And, uh, you know, I, I think there were obviously a myriad of things that Kansas could have done better or differently and won that game. And before we could talk about officiating and calls that were made or weren't made, you know, we had some of our own self-inflicted wounds. But, uh, yeah, I've been hearing a lot of criticism of, of one player or one play in particular, and I don't think that's fair. I, I think that offense, defense, and special teams all have little things that could have been executed a little bit better. And if you do, you win the game. But that's how good this league is. Obviously, K-State had just lost there the week before. We have to learn from it, get better, sharpen up some of those mistakes, and, and not let it happen again in a, in a remaining schedule that, yes, Oklahoma is daunting coming up on homecoming next Saturday night. But after that, I think you have a remaining slate in which, you know, we don't talk point spreads. I can't talk favored and who's, you know, picked the winner or whatever. But I think we can phrase it this way. Um, you, know, you feel good about your chances in all of those November games if you handle your business, if you play relatively mistake-free, and if you play complementary football uh, with, with one phase of the game supporting the other. And so that's my hope for this team. I still think that that eight-win projection that I gave you guys back in August looks really good, and I think there's a chance that they could do better than that. But, but right now I, I feel good about that number, and that would mean – back-to-back bowl seasons for the first time since 07-08, only the second time ever. and That's a pretty good place to be when you consider some of the personnel and, and health issues we've had to deal with. I mean, to be sitting here at 5-2 and two right now, that's a pretty good spot, even if it was, as you termed it, frustrating walking out of, of Boone Pickens on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. And, and something that's become kind of a trend has been KU getting off to a bit of, little bit of a slow start, especially on the road in, in some games. And we saw that again against, against Oklahoma State. Obviously, they responded very well and ended up leading the game at halftime. But uh, what, what do you think attributes maybe to just KU having a little bit slower starts on the road uh, over this past you know game season and a half or so? What do you think kind of is the root of that, and how can KU maybe fix that going forward? Man, that's tough because, you know, there have been a play in all of those. There have been different quarterbacks under center in many of those. So it's hard to say it's one thing or another. The way they got up off the mat and, as you said, came back to take the lead at the half, I think is, is a great story. And Certainly the, the yardage that we gave up on those first two scoring drives, the way that Ollie Gordon was running wild, is stuff you want to get shored up. But by and large, I think the defense has made great strides from where they sat this time a year ago. I mean, we're more than 30 places higher in, in the national rankings in terms of total defense than we were a year ago. And I know we still have a long ways to go, but I think that uh, you know, the way they were able to make adjustments after those initial two scoring drives and start to hold OSU to field goals instead of touchdowns for the bulk of the rest of the game, I think it's progress. Getting it better right out the gate, you know, that, that's on a week-to-week basis depending on the matchup and, and the game plan and all that. It would be hard to pinpoint one specific reason why it's been a slower start. But it was good to see Jason Bean and company settle in. And, uh, you know, he, he found his money man, Trevor Wilson. You think about their chemistry and their rapport that dates back to each of their first seasons here on campus going back to the first year of the Lance Leipold era, back when they were both first string, and, and then, you know, they spent some time where they were running with the twos during the peak of the Jalen Daniels stardom, and, and they kept that chemistry and rapport throughout that stretch, and so it's no surprise that when, when he's 
down for the deep ball in the last couple of uh, road starts that we've seen him in. He's found Trevor Wilson. I was really happy to see Quentin Skinner get going again. We went through a couple of week lull there where the receivers weren't heavily utilized, and some of that was the way the offense struggled to stay on the field at Texas, but then also the fact that the, the ground game was so dominant versus UCF, and you didn't need to air it out a ton because you were winning those battles up front. But uh, to, to see the way Quentin Skinner, who hadn't caught a ball since BYU, responds at 240-plus-yard touchdowns, the way Mason Fairchild had his best day of the senior season, uh, hopefully that, that gets those guys on track and unlocks bigger deep ball vertical passing potential heading forward. Because you're going to need it to, to keep up with Oklahoma. And their secondary probably won't be as vulnerable as, as OSU's was in a few spots, but I think you're going to need some of that offensive firepower to keep pace and Definitely uh, looking forward to seeing if whoever's a quarterback, if they can sustain some of that that we saw on Saturday in Stillwater. You mentioned the bye week earlier. Do you feel like this is coming at a good time for KU? And maybe what do you think, KU, how do you think the, the bye can help KU in the, in the biggest ways? What do you think helps them in the biggest ways for this bye? Yeah, well, you know, so they still practice three times this week. You still work on stuff and try to correct some of the, the self-inflicted mistakes that we talked about, but more than anything, you, you ease off a bit um, in, in the regards that allow guys to heal some of the mixed bumps and bruises, and if, if somebody just needs 10 days or less, they get it. But the hope is that come Sunday, Monday, you're locked in on Oklahoma, and it's, it's right back to business. It's never like two weeks off or anything like that. But I, I think, you know, with fall break and then you, you give them an open Saturday to put their feet up a little bit and watch the rest of the week beat up on each other, that, that's all very healthy for a team that had its bye week come a couple of weeks after when most teams got to, to ease up on those wounds like we were talking about and heal up a bit. I think Kansas is ready for it, not just at the most obvious position of quarterback, but, you know, you, you had several guys on both sides of the ball that were either playing through injury or needed that extra week to get fully back. And so I, I think it comes at a great time for Kansas. Obviously, it comes before your most challenging home game, but also it helps you ramp up for what, as I said earlier, is a really pivotal and opportunistic, advantageous stretch here. I think in these, these final four games after Oklahoma, I mean, Kansas has a great shot every single game, and I think they got a great shot versus the Sooners, too. But uh, to, to kind of do some self-assessment on where you're at and what needs to get better to capitalize on this stretch run, I think the timing was very beneficial in that regard. Switching over to basketball, Big 12 Media Day uh, yesterday, kind of, I guess, officially kicking off basketball season, really, for, for the Big 12. Uh, a Big 12 Media Day with some of the newcomers. But I guess just overarchingly, what was kind of your biggest takeaway from Kansas, from seeing some of the new teams there? What was your biggest takeaway from, uh, from yesterday? Well, it was wild walking around and, and seeing coaches that I'd never met before or hearing them speak and, you know, learning about Cincinnati and BYU basketball and UCF basketball. And you know, these are programs that, that I would never have paid much attention to outside of the occasional, like we ran into BYU and Maui a few years back. And, you know, you never really run into UCF and, and, and Cincinnati's once in a blue moon. And so, to me, it was just kind of wild walking around. And Kelvin Sampson, we see all the time, and Houston's been in the national spotlight, so we see plenty of them. But to familiarize myself with some of the new names and faces in the league was fun. And then, obviously, to see how Hunter Dickinson handles 
the media circus as you know the Big 12's newcomer of the year and preseason player of the year and all the expectations on Kansas. That was fun to see. I think DeWan Harris comes across even more mature, as he should be. I mean, he's, he's been here now going on a fifth season, but he, he's really embracing that veteran leadership role, and I think that shows up in, in a lot of the ways that uh, he conducted his media interviews. And, and I think Kevin McCuller, everybody knows he's out to try to have a year like Ochai and Jalen had when they elected to come back for one more year to enhance their draft stock. It might not look exactly the way it looks for those guys in terms of scoring production, but I think you will see a much more assertive and, and attack mode type Kevin McCuller. It just may not you know, pile up the points quite as high as some of those other guys do because this is an offense that should work through the post with, with Hunter, but I think Kevin has absolutely embraced the opportunity that he has to make you know, his mark on this team and put his stamp on this program in his final season. So I love the guys we took over there, the way they represented us. Coach Self had great things to say. And uh, the fact that he used that quote, going for the throat, uh, fired me up a little bit. Because I've heard him say that behind closed doors the last few months uh, about, you know, getting out from underneath all this NCAA drama the last six years and getting back and making the most of however many years he's got left, whether it's 10, whether it's something less than that, who knows. But he, he wants to really go at it down the stretch here. And you heard him say it at late night. You know, he waited 14 years between his first title and his second title. He thinks two is plenty long enough to wait for the third. I love that. He's, he's attacking his day in recruiting and coaching and game planning and scouting and everything with a tenacity and a fire and a determination in him that uh, is pretty special. And, and I witnessed that when we were down in Puerto Rico to see him kind of speak to that a little bit yesterday. I thought it was really cool because I've sensed that extra fire in the belly going back to when he first came back from the health scare. And as we've talked about many times, when something you love as much as anything in this world, this side of your family, of course, is taken away from you for a short amount of time because of the health stuff, you realize how much you cherish it, how precious it is to you, how much you want to, to really go all out in, in making it all that it can be. And so I see an invigorated coach self a fired-up coach self. And now that the NCAA stuff is done and behind us and they can kind of step out from underneath that and not have any of that hanging over them and recruiting, uh, you know, to see the way they're going to attack it and, and uh, all that, I mean, you can't help but say, giddy up, let's go. This is going to be fun because they accomplished all that they did in the last six years with that cloud kind of hovering a little bit. And they still go to two Final Fours, win a national title, win four league titles. Just imagine what it's going to look like with a renewed enthusiasm, uh, an invigorated passion and fire about them, and now no longer having to deal with that distraction as well. That's got me just chomping at the bit to see what these next few years are going to look like. Yeah, I, I thought Bill Self looked uh, as motivated as ever, right? And I think you did a good job of touching on it there. But with the combination of you know having to step away with the health stuff from last year and then finally having NCAA stuff come to a close, I, I think you're absolutely right. It feels like this is maybe the most motivated he's ever been, right? Yeah, I, I think uh, th there's a renewed energy and there's renewed determination and not that there ever needed to be. I mean, there's so much pressure on this program year in and year out because we don't get the reloading years that other programs would be afforded. When you're at Kansas or Duke, you're expected to win it every year. And The fact that he had this team winning the league 14 straight years shows you they never let off the gas. But I, I think, as I said, when, when you have it taken away from you briefly because of the health scare, 
and and you know that hey, eventually I'm going to retire one day. So whatever time I have left, however long that is, man, I want to maximize it. I want to get the optimal potential out of what we can do here, and I want to make sure. 2008 and 2022 weren't the only banner years for Kansas basketball. When I leave this place, I want the, the architects to have to figure out how are we going to hang eight of those on that end of the field house. <laughs> right now, there's only room for six in between the support beams. Those beams aren't coming down. So how are we going to navigate the seventh banner and the eighth banner and the ninth banner? I'm just telling you, he wants to win more than one before it's all said and done additionally, and I see that fire every day, and I'm excited because you know, if, if he truly is the best coach in America, and I think we all agree he is, and now that there's even more motivation coming off of the health scare and all that, look out college basketball because you know, Bill Self's about to deliver you know, some amazing success in whatever time is in front of us here with him at the helm. It felt like the other big storyline from Media Days with KU was the discussion around maybe who was going to solidify that final starting spot for Kansas. You feel good about Hunter Dickinson, Dewan Harris, KJ Adams, Kevin McCuller, but that fifth spot maybe still up for grabs a little bit, and Bill Self kind of talked about that. I guess what, what did you take away from some of his comments about that final spot in the starting rotation for Kansas, and do you think it'll be one guy, or do you think maybe we'll see a couple different guys in that spot over the course of the season? Well, I'm curious which specific comments that you're alluding to, because I, I left halfway through it to get back for Hawk Talk on the football side last night. So I need to read the transcripts on specifically what he said there. Obviously, when we were in San Juan, they went with three different starting lineup combinations, and one of those guys is no longer on the team. And he's added a guy since, but he's trying to be fully healthy and available too. And so uh, there's been a state of flux there, no doubt. But uh, I, I think you've got several really quality options. So I'll be curious to see. And that's, that's the beauty of having the, uh, the, the big-time scrimmage game that's now an exhibition game with uh, – with Illinois to see how some of these young pieces like a Johnny Furphy or an Marco Jackson will respond under the lights in a big time setting like that coming up on October the 29th. Whereas had it just been a behind closed door scrimmage before you don't get some of that same responding under pressure type scenarios. And then you know, your only other exhibition game after that is, is at home. So I, I think we're going to find out a lot about these guys, but it may be something where there's tinkering, well into the first month, a first month that will be as challenging as any team schedule out there. When you look at Champions Classic on top of a loaded Maui field, now in Honolulu, of course, and uh, sending national champs coming here. I mean, there's so much that we're going to see this team tested by in the first five weeks. And so um, would not be surprised if, if that's you know a spot that, that has a little bit of fluctuation to it. But Certainly excited by the challenges that await this group and seeing how they respond to it. And you heard Hunter Dickinson's comments yesterday. He's not shying away from being preseason number one, saying he likes it because the teams below him know that we're better than you. I mean, he's not he's not backing down from any of that talk. And and I don't think he said that trying to sound over the top brash or overly confident. But he he likes his club, and uh, and and I love it when you see that because I genuinely believe they can back it up. He is Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. Brian, I guess you get a chance to really enjoy a, a bye week here as well with, uh, with no K football as well. But uh, thanks so much for your time. And before we let you go, a, a word from Nate Miller? Yeah, looking forward to an open Saturday for sure. We don't get many of those in this business. But we'll watch the other team sweat and then get back at it next week. But, uh, yeah, big thanks to my friends at MillerTimeAtGroup.org. Huge fans of what they do over there. He is such a great guy. He supports so many local philanthropic causes. But he wants to help your bottom line as well to set you up with the most 
profitable financial future you could possibly have. So check them out today at MillerRetirementGroup.com. Thanks a lot, Nick. Have a great weekend, my friend. All right, that was Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. Cue the disclaimer. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. Thanks so much, for Brian, for coming on the show here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. We're going to get to some more discussion of Big 12 Media Days. Henry Greenstein of Lawrence Journal World is going to join us in the 4 o'clock hour. Also got some lie detector tests coming up as well. All that coming up on the show. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Four o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer, Derek Johnson on vacation. So we get a little bit of a dose of Nick Chalk Sports Talk here on RCST. Coming up later on in the hour, Henry Greenstein of Lawrence Turner World is going to join us. We'll have more on reactions to Big 12 Media Day, some of the reactions to the biggest things that Bill Self said or the most interesting things that Bill Self said uh, coming up later on in the show as well. We're also going to get to some uh, various interviews we had a chance to uh, with interviews with people we had a chance to catch up with at Big 12 Media Day, uh, some national writers and uh, some other local members of the media as well. So we'll get to some of that audio uh, and interviews from Media Day as well. Right now, it's time for another edition of the Lie Detector Test. Who's lying? Who's telling the truth in the sports world? I'm here to tell you right now. All right, let's start off with Dan Lanning, going back to the Oregon-Washington game on uh, fourth down failures that uh, Oregon had in that game. They had a couple of, of fourth downs that uh, maybe, you know, at the end of the first half they could have kicked. They chose to go for it. Here's what, here's some of the quotes that uh, Lanning said. I think this game is 100% on me. That, I think, is probably, I mean, that's like coach talk, right? You got to say that. Even if it's true or not, you got to say it. Uh, is it the truth? Eh, maybe not. I mean, definitely you, you left some points on the board probably with some of your decisions, but eh, pass. Then he said, that being said, it didn't work. So obviously it will be second-guessed, alluding to going forward on fourth down in certain situations. Well, the first part of that is absolutely the truth. It did not work. You're right. Thank you, Captain Obvious. It definitely didn't work. So obviously it will be second-guessed. That's a tough one, and, I, and I've... It's a point that maybe is not necessarily talked about enough. I don't know, though. Like In the age of analytics and whatnot, I, I've always wondered if coaches, they if they go for it a lot and they don't get it a lot, does that then negatively impact how likely they are going to continue to go for it over time? I, I don't know because I, I think there are some coaches that just blindly look at the analytics, but I think that has to play a factor in it, right? If you are very aggressive and go for it multiple times and you don't get it multiple times... I would think that has to then make you start to question whether or not you should continue to try to go forward in similar situations in the future. So I don't know. Then Lanning goes on to say, the one before the half is where you say, let's take that field goal, Lanning said, and it's something I'm going to assess. Go evaluate for me. We checked to see if we liked the look. We liked the look before we ran the play. We just didn't execute. A lot to unravel there. Uh, th that's the big one, the one right before the half that, he's, that he alluded to there. Um, that's, that's the truth because it did happen. Uh, is he going to assess? I would think so. Then he said, go evaluate for me. First of all, it's not my job, bro. I'm not going to go evaluate for you. So, no, I'm not I'm not doing that. Uh, and then he said, we just didn't execute. And that's more coach talk, I guess. But uh, I don't know. So there's definitely some truth in here in this. Uh, a little bit of coach speak. He can put it on himself if he wants. 
I think Washington's a better team anyways. It'll say half truth, half lie, sort of. Uh, for Oregon head coach Dan Lee. How about Georgia head coach Kirby Smart had an interaction with a reporter. So Kirby Smart at some point previously uh, had made an, uh, an allusion to a wrecking ball. And a reporter then wanted to follow up later on during a press conference and said, going back to your wrecking ball analogy, in my head I was envisioning Miley Cyrus. To which Kirby Smart stopped the reporter and said, I don't know who Miley Cyrus is. What does she have to do with a wrecking ball? And then somebody explained it to him that it was a song. And Kirby replied with, I love Eric Church, Eric Church's version of wrecking ball. So the question here is, is Kirby Smart telling the truth? Does he not know who Miley Cyrus is? The thing about Kirby Smart is he, he's definitely a football guy. He's definitely a football guy. But to me, Kirby Smart's 47 years old. So he might have been a little too old for the Hannah Montana, Miley Cyrus. I don't know, Miley Cyrus, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But, dude, how do you, I mean, you got to know who Miley Cyrus is. Like, there's there's being a football guy, and then there's taking it too far. To me, this is too far. Get out of your football bubble. First of all, Georgia's not even that good, okay? You're not blowing out teams like you're supposed to. So get out of your football bubble and enjoy some Miley Cyrus. So I, I think... I have to believe this is a lie. I don't know. Sure. Okay. I think it's possible that he may not have known the Miley Cyrus song, Wrecking Ball. Surely he knows who Miley Cyrus is. I wonder if somebody had asked him, do you know who Hannah Montana is, if he had known Hannah Montana maybe more than Miley Cyrus. That would be interesting. But uh, I don't know. I have a I have a hard time believing that this is, this is the truth. I think Kirby Smart's just trying to put on the football guy persona, right? Because that's what you do when you're a football guy. You put on the persona, you say you love football, yada, yada, yada. But man, I mean, Miley Cyrus, come on. Come on. Really? You don't know who Miley Cyrus is? Again, I can buy maybe not knowing Wrecking Ball. I ain't buying you don't know who Miley Cyrus is. Kirby Smart, eh, bye. All right, Russell Wilson, Denver Broncos quarterback, Russell Wilson. This was before the Chiefs game last week. He made a comment that said, uh, "We we really could and should be four and one instead of one and four. Now, of course, they're one and five and losing to the Chiefs." And then he added that, "But enough of would have, could have, should have. Just have to go out and do it." And uh, guess what? He has not done. Gone out and done it. So that's kind of a bad look. Uh, okay, you look at some of the Broncos' losses. The Washington loss. Uh, okay, I don't know. I mean, eh, you know. Uh, the Jets loss, no, probably. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you win the game, I guess. The Chiefs loss, obviously. Uh, it never really felt like you were going to win at any point, even though it was maybe close-ish, you know? This is a lie. You could, you really could not be 4-1. Because if you should be 4-1, you would think that you'd at least be better than 1-4, right? I mean, if you are a 3-2 and two team, or a you know four and two team, and you're saying, well, you know, we could have been, we we could be, it should be five and one. Okay, fine. But to come out and say that as a team that's one and four slash one and five now, it's just embarrassing, man. And it's clear that Sean Payton is so fed up with Russell Wilson already that I, you know, and this is this is awesome because the Broncos are in, they are in literal hell. They they they're stuck with Russell Wilson. 
They're stuck with Sean Payton, and they stink. I mean, stink. So it's just uh, it's great to see as, as a Chiefs fan. You love to see it. In fact, all the AFC West teams are struggling right now. So you, lo- you love to see that. You really do. Uh, yeah, but this is a lie. You you should not be. And this is just something you can't say to the media. I think. I mean, even if even if you truly feel this way, if you're a one and four, one and five team, and you truly feel, oh, you know, we could easily be four and one, five and one. Even if you feel that way, you just can't say it. I don't think. I just don't think you can go out and say that, man. I mean, yeah, I just. Bad, bad look, bad look there, bad look there. All right, Kai Jones is on uh, lie detector test here. Member of the Charlotte Hornets tweeted out this: "I have officially requested to be traded from the Charlotte Hornets." Hashtag Goat Life. Now, some of you may be wondering, wait a second, who is Kai Jones? That's a fair question because he hardly plays for the Hornets as it is, and he averages less than four points per game with the Hornets. So, if you are not a superstar player, can you ask for a trade? I I don't I don't know. I don't think you can. Uh, so, the fact that he tweeted this, I actually think this might be the truth. I have no doubt that he probably went into the he probably marched himself up into the Charlotte Hornets front office and said, "I would like to be traded." And they probably responded with who are you? What? Go go dribble. Go practice playing basketball. You're not good enough to be traded. Because you got to be worth something to be traded. And this, you're playing a dangerous game here. Because if you're not a good player and you go to a team and say, hey, I want to be traded, and that team's like, you suck, they can just cut you. Like, they, you don't have to be traded. You can just be cut. You can just not be on a team at all, period. Uh, which I guess in a, to, in a roundabout way would still get you to what your end goal is. Because if you want to be traded, that means you want to be on a different team. But the risk you run there is that you could potentially be on no team. <laughs> so I, I actually think this is the truth. Uh, and I think Kai Jones maybe believes this. But, brother, you've got to actually be a, a decent player to even remotely consider saying something like this. Uh, yeah, so ridiculous. Truth, but with an asterisk because it's it's idiotic. It's really uh, not, not very smart at all. <laughs> so... Truth with an asterisk by it uh, for for Kai Jones. That's going to be traded. I mean, dude, who do you think you are? I mean, who do you think you are? You think you're LeBron James walking in there? You think you're James Harden? I mean, and even superstars, when they demand trades, sometimes it doesn't always go their way. or The trades don't always go how they want it to. I mean, look at a guy like Damian Lillard. You know, look at James Harden. He's been struggling to get traded to, probably because nobody wants him. But similarly, who wants Kai Jones? Who of all the other teams in the league? Who, how many of them even know who Kai Jones is? I mean, r- ridiculous, ridiculous. Dabo Swinney is on lie detector test, answering a question about how Clemson tracks analytics on their sidelines and how Clemson would avoid a possible fiasco like what happened to Miami and Mario Cristobal uh, in the loss to Georgia Tech. Quote from Dabo Swinney. Hopefully, in that situation, someone would just punch me. End quote. That is a bold statement, I would say. Uh, I honestly, I think there should be more of this. I think if you are on the sideline and your and your head coach is making a dumb decision, you should be allowed to just get a free get a free shot at him. Why not? Give give him a nice little punch. 
yeah, because the Mario Cristobal thing was a disaster, a terrible, terrible, terrible situation, and probably one of the worst coaching blunders of all time, truly. I don't think that's really that hyperbolic, to be quite honest with you. Uh, but would should someone be able to punch Dabo Sweeney? I think there are probably some Clems and fans and boosters that would like to punch Dabo Sweeney at times. So, uh, yeah, maybe they can come down on the sideline and give him a punch if he... Uh... Now, the real risk that Devil Sweeney's running here is he did not specify where exactly he would be okay with being punched. You know? I mean, it's one thing if someone just wants to give you a little shot in the arm, you know what I mean? Like a little shoulder punch, you know? But what if what if they're looking at to, to punch you in the moneymaker? Or like a gut punch, you know, a really hard gut punch straight to the gut? I, I don't know, man. I don't know. This is... I, I, I kind of feel like Sweeney's telling the truth here that he's okay with being punched, but he didn't specify where. So that is what sticks out to me about this one. I, I don't know. I think he's telling the truth. I think he's telling the truth. Uh, and then he said that Clemson works clock management in practice weekly. Guess what, brother? I'm sure Miami works clock management in practice weekly too. And look, that still happened. And, it, you know, it, this always makes me wonder about on the sidelines, you know, when a head coach is making a questionable decision. Is there a lot of people on the sideline looking around saying, like, are we sure about this? This doesn't seem very smart. Or is it, you know, do, do those people say anything or do they just keep that thought to themselves? I've always wondered how that plays out. Uh, but Dabo Sweeney, truth, I think, I guess. But uh, yeah, like I said, I'm sure there are some. I'm sure, there's been some boosters over the course of this season that would like to punch Dabo Sweeney for various reasons. All right, Andy Reid is on lie detector test. I alluded to this uh, earlier in the show. Andy Reid, back on October 4th, so exactly two weeks ago, actually, uh, said, or I guess a little over two weeks ago, said that he was in, he was happy with the production of the wide receivers. He think they do he thought they're doing a pretty good job and then later added that he's satisfied and is not interested in bringing in other players via trade or otherwise. <laughs> Lie. However, I think I think the argument here is that retroactively you go back and say that at the time that Andy Reid said that it was the truth. But the thing is is like what really changed from then to now for the Chiefs wide receiver room? Other than Justin Watson's injury, what changed between now and then? It's not like Sky Moore really did anything between that time. Rashi Rice, same deal. Justin Ross, same deal. So, I I, I don't know. This, this, this has to be a lie. But it also makes you wonder, did Andy Reid maybe not necessarily have as much of a say in going out and getting Michael Hardman back? Was, it, was this more of a Brett Veach just saying, I look at this team and I think there's needs to be a change. We're bringing in Michael Hardman. And then he kind of overruled Andy Reid, right? Was that a possibility? Was that a possibility? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, I think if the Chiefs would have just not made any trades at all, all the way up to trade, if they'd done nothing, I think there would have been a lot of disgruntled fans. But they're in a tough situation because if they go out and do something and it doesn't work, I mean, that's why maybe this Michael Hardman trade back is kind of the best thing for uh, the Chiefs in the sense of, from like a PR perspective, in the sense that they can be like, 
look, we went out and traded for somebody to try to strengthen the wide receiver room. Uh, and if it doesn't work out, then they can be like, well, you know, we gave up a late pick. You know, because, like, if if the Chiefs were to make a Kadarius Tony-esque move or, or give up, you know, something more than that for, like, a Chris Godwin or, you know, I don't know how much a Terrence Marshall would command or other players like that, and it doesn't work, I think Chiefs fans would be even more upset, probably. So at least with the Nicole Hardman, you're getting a little bit of the best of both worlds, it feels like, if you're the Chiefs, in the sense of you went out and made a move, so maybe Chiefs fans will kind of lay off on making a move. You didn't give up really a whole lot. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I'm really, I'm honestly not sure what to think of the, of the Nicole Hardman edition. I didn't think the Chiefs would do it, first of all. Um... I, not that I didn't think they would make any trade. I just didn't think that they would go get Michael Hardman specifically. So, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see uh, We'll see how things shake out, obviously. All right, last one on lie detector test is Dave Tobe. Dave Tobe, earlier today, said that Patrick Mahomes is the Chiefs' backup punter. What? This has got to be a lie. That's the most absurd thing I've ever heard. Patrick Mahomes should not be anywhere near a football field if he's not playing quarterback. What? Are, I mean, what is this? What are we doing? What? This is ridiculous. You let him be the backup punter, but you won't let him take a quarterback sneak? I I, I hope this is a lie. I really do. There's got to be somebody else on the team that can be a backup punter. Patrick Mahomes does not need to be on the field if he's not being a punter, or if he's not being a quarterback, I mean. That's absurd. That's absurd. You've got 52 other guys. One of those other guys can punt. I mean, Justin Reed, he's got a good leg. Surely he can punt. I don't know, man. Dude, what are we doing? Find literally anybody else. Anybody. Ridiculous. I hope it's a lie. And if it's not, I'm upset. <laughs> I'm upset. So. All right, that is Lie Detector Test here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to be joined by Henry Greenstein in a little less than 20 minutes. We've got an interview that we were able to get uh, from yesterday's Big 12 Media Day with uh, Isaac Trotter coming up on the other side, and then we'll get to talk with Henry Greenstein as well coming up. So more Big 12 Media Day coverage. Coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, I'm going to break down a little bit more specifically of some of the most interesting things Bill Self said. And we've got another interview uh, that we snagged from uh, Big 12 Media Day as well uh, coming up later on in the show also. We'll take a time out right now. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Mick Springer, Derek Johnson on vacation. Uh, it's been a busy week so far this week with lots going on, including a Big 12 Media Days and also with the K football game last Saturday against Oklahoma State to help us break it all down. Now joined by Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World. Henry, going back to last Saturday against Oklahoma State, uh, a game that maybe Kansas felt like they could have won or maybe should have won. Uh, you know, it, you know, you're not used to coming away from a road game for Kansas, feeling a little bit disappointed or frustrated. But maybe, what was just your biggest takeaway from that uh, from that game for KU against Oklahoma State? Yeah, I mean, it's just really interesting to see. This is maybe not my biggest takeaway, but I'll get to that in a second. It's really interesting to see how the the public sentiment around this program changes so wildly with the outcome of every game. I mean, you think about how despondent people were after Texas and how jubilant after UCF, and now back to being despondent. I mean, maybe by the time we get around to Oklahoma, people will have reached some sort of even keel, but 
man, just careening wildly from one extreme to another. Um, but, yeah, in terms of the Oklahoma State game, uh, my biggest takeaway with the defense is not as far along as we thought they were earlier in the season. Uh, you know, it's one thing to get carved up in the run game by Texas uh, with the personnel they have up front and, and the running backs they have in the backfield. Ollie Gordon is great, but I, Oklahoma State's offense had not been at all impressive ahead of that game. And they, they knew exactly what to do in terms of the short comeback routes, kind of some stuff Austin Booker talked about postgame. Short comeback routes, quick screens, things that KU, even though they've faced them frequently, just seemingly had no answer for. So, yeah, they got a lot of tightening up to do in that area. Um, but, yeah, it's a game where you look back on it and you think that if any one of, like, four different things had gone differently, they would have won that game, and pretty comfortably at that. But it was not to be. Yeah, and you think about that game and the way it started with Kansas getting down big, obviously showing the resilience to come back and eventually take the lead. But it's starting to become a bit of a trend now where KU tends to get off to a slower start in road games. Well, what do you think kind of causes that, and how do you think Kansas can maybe fix that going forward? Yeah, it's hard to say. I think maybe it's one of those sorts of things where if you just do it once, then it's not a problem anymore. Like maybe if they just have one road game where that doesn't happen, that'll be some sort of turnkey solution for them. But I'm not really sure. It's something you're going to have to think about. Uh, one interesting thing is, I mean, all of their road trips have been fundamentally different so far. You know, they had the Nevada one with the time change. They had Texas, and then they had Stillwater, which was a bus trip. And now they're going to have another bus trip. Uh, Well, I guess I don't know for sure whether they fly to Ames or if they drive there. So maybe just having some sort of continuity in either way will help because it feels like whatever's happening, there's got to be some sort of external factor that's left them so sluggish. or uh, I don't know. They were playing friends in low places at practice all before the OSU game. They've been blaring the crowd noise and stuff. That doesn't seem to be helping them in terms of starting out games so far. And we're interested to see if they can correct that, uh, at least before Iowa State. Despite the loss, Jason Bean played really well, right? He, he had the one interception in the end zone that really hurt them in, in the red zone, but over 400 yards, five passing touchdowns. But still, I'm sure key fans might be anxious about the status of Jalen Daniels. I guess with the bye week now and then looking ahead to Oklahoma, do you think KU needs Jalen Daniels back to maybe win that game against Oklahoma? That's a really good question. I, I think it would be po- it's possible for KU to win it with either of them. Certainly you want Jalen Daniels just for the way that he's able to kind of make something out of nothing. and He doesn't frequently make the sorts of mental errors that Bean did toward the end of that game. But I think it's possible for them to do it either way. I think the onus really falls on the defense, though. I mean, the game that being played against Oklahoma State should have been enough for for KU to win, like, pretty much any game. Um, and if, especially if, if that game unfolds in a different order, even, we're not talking about it the same way. Like, if Jason Bean throws two touchdowns and then an interception and then two touchdowns and then an interception and then one more touchdown. We're not talking about it in nearly the same tone of voice that we do just because he had a bunch of mistakes that were bunched up later in the game. Uh, the performance he got there would have been good enough for KU to beat a lot of teams in the Big 12. And uh, If they had the advantage that they could have with a, with a more functional defensive performance, we wouldn't be talking about it the same way. Kind of like what happened with Illinois, actually. You know, like, Jalen threw an interception late in that game. There was some bad – I believe there was a bad fourth down try in that game too, and, and the reason why that didn't fall apart was because the defense had held Illinois basically without anything for the first three quarters of that game. 
KU obviously has, has a bye this week. Is there anything specific you're looking for from KU out of this bye week, for, you know, extra preparation for Oklahoma, maybe just getting healthy, anything that sticks out to you? Yeah, I think one thing that comes to mind is the fact that this is homecoming. You really want to get a sellout for that. And Travis Goff has spoken previously about being pretty confident that this game would result in a sellout. Um, I think they're going to need all the home field advantage they can get in this matchup. And uh, with all the pageantry surrounding it, that'll be one more thing that'll be helpful to have on their side. Again, if they anything they can do to disrupt an Oklahoma offense that's been pretty effective recently. Switching over to the basketball side, a big week here for, for Big 12 basketball with media days going on. The women obviously going on Tuesday and the men yesterday, but let's start with the women. Uh, picked third in the Big 12, highest they've been picked, I think, since Brandon Snyder has been the head coach at Kansas. It feels like a lot of things are culminating in this season for the women. I guess what was kind of your biggest takeaway from getting a chance to, to see and hear from Brandon Snyder and the players for, for KU? Uh, it feels like rather than being intimidated by the expectations that have been placed upon them, they're really embracing them. Uh, I wrote a story about the non-conference schedule and how the reason why, I mean, not this directly, but the reason why they're playing teams like UConn and Virginia Tech and going at Penn State and at Texas A&M is because the players went to Brandon Schneider and asked him if they could play more difficult teams in the non-conference. Uh, you know, Tyana Jackson, I was talking to her about it, and she was basically like, yeah, we don't want to play teams we can blow out. That doesn't do anyone any good. Um, so they're really going to be forged in the in the fiery crucible of that Cayman Islands Classic in November. Uh, that'll give them a great handle on where their team is at at that point. I mean, imagine just even for just like someone like Samaya Nichols getting to see players that good so early in her career will be really valuable. One other takeaway I had is obviously these super seniors, uh, as well as Wyvett Mayberry and get and Samaya Nichols, of course, get all the attention, but I think they're quietly cultivating a pretty good bench. We don't talk about it too much. I know you guys talked a little bit earlier this week about Skyward Gill, the North Alabama transfer. She's really, really good defensively, and I think, you know, if you put both her and Tyana Jackson on the floor, I don't know how, how many shots are going to get off the ground. Um, but besides her, you know, Laya Canesa will be, will be a contributor as a freshman, and Ryan Cobbins as well from Alabama and North Dakota State is someone who's already a little familiar because uh, she overlapped with assistant coach Morgan Page at North Dakota State. So, yeah, I think just maybe there could be some contributions from unexpected places on a team where the big names are already quite well known. Flipping over to the men's side, which was yesterday, certainly a lot of hubbub about Kansas, the preseason number one overall team. You've got the number one transfer in the country, Hunter Dickinson. From the men's media day, Bill Self spoke at length for a long time with the media members. What, what were some things that really stuck out to you uh, from the men's side? Man, there were so many things yesterday. It was kind of hard to digest them, and there were some things where I heard them, and I was like, did he really say that? I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is, is the uh, the comment that everyone reported on, which is Bill Self saying that now that the IRP is concluded, Kansas will go for the throat in recruiting. And, of course, as he himself said, uh, th- that prompts the question of, like, what were they doing before, if not going for the throat when they won a national championship and all that. But he makes a valid point that they haven't quite been, like, I guess, swinging for the fences and getting as many top guys as they did in, in the earlier stages of his career. And certainly with Flory, it seems like they're headed back toward that. Um, other takeaways include uh, he, he confirmed the report about his offer to sit out the 2022 tournament. That was interesting. Um the charge rule is something I'm going to have a story coming up about soon, uh, which is basically just we heard from Curtis Shaw, coordinator of officials, about it's going to be practically impossible 
to draw a charge as a defender from now on. So Dewan Harris and Kevin McCuller, I, I t- both of them were asked about this and played it off pretty confidently, like they weren't at all worried. And to some extent, I get it. The, the defense as a whole is good enough that the responsibility on one individual to take a charge as a secondary defender really isn't going to be that salient. But it, it's a small adjustment of, as Shaw put it, like three-tenths to four-tenths of a second. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be trivial for people to adjust to that. Um, trying to think, yeah, last thing to me is just going to be really interesting to watch KU play Houston this year, a team that KU has not played since 2001. Bill Self has not coached again since he was in his first year at Tulsa and blew a 20-point lead at home. Uh, again, That was a very different era. So going to be really interesting to see those matchups. Yeah, and, and it felt like there was a lot made about the starting lineup for Kansas. You have four guys that you feel like are guaranteed to start, Dewan Harris, uh, Hunter Dickinson, Kevin McCuller, and, and KJ Adams. But a lot of questions were asked about that that final spot, right? Who's it going to be? Uh, what, what did you kind of take away from Bill Self's comments about what that start, what that final spot might look like? Well, my biggest takeaway was that Derek asked him about the competition between El Marco and Nick Timberlake, and he unsolicited brought up uh, Johnny Furphy and Jamari McDowell. So that lets me know that it's more open than anyone could have believed. That some of the early rumors about the sky-high ceiling for Furphy maybe what we uh, maybe come into fruition. Obviously, that changes the dynamics of the lineup a little bit because if Furphy really is like six foot nine as listed, then maybe Kevin McCuller is more of the two and Furphy's more of the three. So that's something to keep in mind. But yeah, Jamari McDowell getting so much hype of late. Uh, he was kind of a forgotten man in some ways. Back when Arterio Morris was still on the team, it seemed like Jamari was even a candidate to redshirt, but not so now. And Bill Self actually said yesterday that of those four guys, Marco, Nick, Furphy, and Jamari, he's the one who would be most ready to play in, an, in, a, in a college game right now. So very, very interesting to see how that unfolds. And in only 10 days, we'll see who he sends out as a starter uh, against Illinois. Yeah, I was wondering just about the demeanor of Bill Self uh, yesterday. You think about what he's gone, what, what's been happening over the last year or so. You have the, the health issues that kept him all out of the tournament last year. You clear up the IARP thing. Do you think it's safe to say, based off of kind of his attitude, that this is maybe the most motivated Bill Self has ever been to, to go out and, and compete and, and prove that uh, he's one of the best coaches with one of the best programs in the country? Yeah, there were a lot of questions about that yesterday, and it was something I hadn't really thought about. I think – he did say something to the tune of like when it feels like you're proving people wrong in that IARP context, that's really motivating. I feel like that's not really the case as much anymore. But certainly yesterday he was he was exuberant despite having broken ribs, which was an interesting revelation. But he was exuberant. He was confident. It was it was quite a contrast from like a week ago at the IARP press conference. Not to say he wasn't confident, but it was much more muted and cautiously optimistic. Yesterday, it felt like he was unleashed a little bit, which was interesting to see. When you look at this team still coming into the season, what do you think is maybe the biggest question that they have? Right? Is it three-point shooting? Is it maybe the depth? What to you stands out as still some, I mean, for the preseason number one team, obviously, but what, what kind of stands out to you is maybe the biggest question still for this team? I mean, not a super novel answer, but I think the two things you mentioned. Uh, Three-point shooting, we don't know exactly where that's going to come from, especially if Timberlake isn't getting a huge number of minutes. I'm not sold on El Marco as a shooter. Uh, we don't really have enough evidence to say whether Furphy's a shooter yet. 
so not too sure where that's going to come from. And then just the depth. You don't want anyone to get injured uh, because that could have dire consequences, especially if it's a Hunter Dickinson or Kevin McCullough, because those are, those are central presences that you don't easily replace. So, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. Those are the two biggest things that I would keep an eye on right away. And certainly the, um, the three-point shooting one is something that's been a concern dating back to, like, Puerto Rico. So, yeah. Next Sunday, KU will have their exhibition at Illinois. Do you think there's going to be anything we're really going to be able to take away from that? Or, or how are you kind of – what kind of mindset do you think you're going to have going into to watching that game uh, against Illinois? Or that exhibition, I should say. Well, I did see a, a, a video today. I believe it was posted by the guy who covers Illinois for 24-7 sports where they said it's going to have the format of a normal game. So in a closed-door scrimmage, you might do more situational stuff and smaller chunks of time, but they're going to do a regular format, so it'll have that going for it. And I think this will be the hardest that, we see, that we've seen anyone try so far. Um, certainly, it'll have a road kind of environment. I imagine Hunter Dickinson will uh, be doing his thing with the crowd, especially because in the past he's referred to Illinois fans as annoying, I believe, on the record. Um, yeah, I think it'll be, and Illinois is a top 25 team. They're ranked number 25. So I think it'll be a big test, uh, especially for the freshmen to get a sense of what a college basketball game feels like. Um, I think the biggest scrutiny, honestly, will be on them and Dickinson. Um, those are the people that I'll be keeping an eye on for Dickinson to see just to what extent he can be the real deal in the small sample size and for the freshmen just to see how well they're able to adjust to the pace and physicality. Yeah, I think Bill Self mentioned yesterday that he thought that it might be the toughest road environment they'll see all season for an exhibition game, which is I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I thought so as well. I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, they don't really have that. In non-conference, there aren't many true road games. I believe it's just Indiana. But then in conference play, you have to feel like some of those are pretty tough environments. I, I don't know about that one. But not to undersell Illinois by any means, but, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, well, it'll be a homecoming, obviously, for Bill Self as well, so should be an exciting exhibition game. Uh, Henry, thanks so much for your time, and before we let you go, anything you want to talk about what's going up with uh, Lawrence Journal World right now? Um, not specifically, just, yeah, lots more stories that I've written from Media Day that are going to be parceled out over the next few days, um, and then there'll be even more, I believe, KU's planning on having a team-specific Media Day in the days to come as well, so... Lots more stuff to uh, keep an eye on. Absolutely. Well, and you have a chance to enjoy a little bit of a bye week off this week, right, with no uh, football on Saturday. So. Yeah, I can't complain about that, but there's always, there's always papers to manage and, and centerpieces to write, even when there's no football game. Well, Henry, I appreciate your time as always. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, and have a great rest of your day. All right, thanks. All right, that was Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World joining us here on Rock Talk Sports Talk. Be sure to check out all that coverage. And also, you can also find uh, the best of RCSD podcast over at KUSports.com as well. Thanks so much to Henry. Two hours down here in the show. Uh, coming up, we're going to break down a little bit more of kind of what Henry talked about with some of the interesting things that Bill Self said. I'll a little bit, dive a little bit deeper into some of that coming up, and we'll have some more interviews that we took from Media Day as well later on in the 5 o'clock hour. Two hours down, one to go. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Five o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer, Derek Johnson on vacation. And I wanted to get into a little bit more uh, deeper on what Bill Self said, a lot of the things that Bill Self said over media day. We're going to play the audio tomorrow. He met with the media for over 30 minutes uh, yesterday, almost 30 minutes yesterday. So we're going to get into a lot of that audio on tomorrow's show uh, to, for everybody to hear it. But I did want to 
kind of break down a little bit more what specifically he said or some of the things that he said that really stood out to me uh, from being there at Media Day yesterday. Uh, a lot was said, obviously. Um, I think the, the biggest points of conversation really were there was a lot of discussion about the NCAA investigation, obviously, with that just wrapping up uh, you know, recently. So a lot going on with that, and and Bill Self had some some very interesting things to say about that, and was and I thought was uh, not really holding punches, so to speak. Uh, I think the most notable thing, and probably the biggest quote of the day from Bill Self, was uh, in regards to the NCAA investigation when talking about recruiting and how he said that uh, they're going to go for the throats now in recruiting. They're going for the throats now in recruiting, and uh, he he alluded to a lot of the numbers there about how you know basically since this investigation began back in uh, 2017, six years ago, that there was a time period where KU was not able to get some of the top recruits. You know, you go back to pre-2017 and you think about you were able to get guys like Josh Jackson, you were able to get guys like Andrew Wiggins, Joel Embiid, uh, and then there's uh, this long period where Kansas was not really able to get some of those top 10, top 5 type players that they had been getting uh, in the Bill Self era previously to that. And, and Bill Self talked kind of at length about that and didn't really hold back in, in kind of his analysis of, of how things went. And uh, he, he did kind of mention how, you know, now uh, it didn't affect recruiting so much as it did three, four, five years ago when they were still it was still being talked about quite a bit. Uh, but it's it's clear that now Bill Self wants to go for sort of a gloves-off approach and, and he wants to get back and, and really recruit and bring in some of the top players uh, in the country. And, and I wonder, you know, Bill Self didn't come out and say this specifically, but I, I wonder how much of it was not so much maybe – the, the effects of the investigation on KU as much as it was, it was a very, very easy negative recruiting tool for some of the other top schools around the country and how much maybe that influenced things. you know So maybe not so much of, a, of the fact that because it was ongoing, it was negatively affecting KU from a KU standpoint, but more of from a standpoint of other schools probably negatively recruiting and saying, hey, are you sure you want to go to a school that might be getting a postseason ban that might have you know other co- other things coming down the pipe towards them with this investigation? And obviously, none of that ended up being true. And I think that was kind of uh, Bill Self did also say, you know, hey, listen. Uh, everything that we said at the beginning, all of the statements that KU said that Bill Self said in the beginning turned out to be true based off of uh, the results of the investigation uh, and and so on and so forth. So I thought that was really telling that, you know, I think Bill Self was was really in a position where he was ready to talk about it because I think he felt that, uh, and he did specifically also say that, you know, he couldn't, there was a lot of, you know, other schools and people that were kind of uh, dissing the KU program a little bit during that time period. And Bill Self had to basically hold his tongue essentially until the the whole thing had been resolved. And he, he kind of touched on that as well. So, I think it's clear that you know he felt pretty strongly about uh, the investigation and about its effect on KU, and I think he was certainly an exciting moment for KU to have that resolved. And I think that showed, you know, based off the comments that he made and the press conference after the investigation findings uh, came out as well. So uh, yeah, I thought I thought that was all very interesting. He was clearly pretty adamant about it. And then another really interesting point uh, in the in the discussion around the the investigation was. Sort of what came out and what Bill Self said about uh, the 2022 NCAA tournament and, and how there was some discussion about him trying to maybe sit out the the NCAA tournament in 2022 as a way to speed up this process and I think it I think it became pretty clear that KU strategy and Bill Self strategy as it regards to this whole uh, as it relates to this whole IARP investigation was 
we just want to do anything we can to speed it up to get it done. Just get it done. Just get it done. Just get it out of the way. Just get it closed. And I think that's pretty evidenced by uh, you know some of the comment, some of the comments, and some of the things that came out about uh, what he had suggested about possibly sitting out the 2022 tournament. He even said that he didn't think that that the 2022 team was very good. Obviously, that ended up being a national title team uh, that won the NCAA tournament. So uh, that was a very very interesting uh, situation as well where. He just wanted to get it over with and was basically willing to to throw away the the 2022 tournament is, is basically how I was kind of reading that right. I mean, with no Bill Self, uh, that that KU any any KU team really not just the 2022 team but any KU team probably becomes re- significantly reduced in terms of maybe what their ceiling could be uh, in the NCAA tournament. And so basically, willing to throw away the 2022 tournament. To, to try to get things over with with the NCA and with the IARP, which, uh, you know, it, it's it's like a, in a weird way, it's almost like a, maybe that, that was basically his version of saying, you know what, we'll just take a postseason, a quote unquote postseason ban where basically it's a Bill Self ban, but that would severely limit any KU team. Uh, so that was a really, really interesting part of it. And he said, you know, hey, we lost by 20 to Kentucky and, uh, I, I, you know, how I he was considering that as well. So. Kind of that just circles back to the theme of again. I think for this for this NCAA investigation, I think the Bill Self wanted nothing more, and probably the KU program wanted nothing more as well than for it to just be done. They just wanted it to be done, and I think uh, they're probably pretty happy that it was over. And and again, going back to the recruiting aspect of it, I think Bill Self now feels maybe more free. Uh, and this is something that I've talked about on previous shows with Derek is that you know I, I wonder for Bill Self if he maybe feels a new level of energy coming into the season that he's never felt before. And he did kind of touch on that a little bit. I don't think he really went that far in his comments, but you know, you think about it, right? Uh, Bill self has been at KU for now over 20 years. And for the last six years, he's had this IARP situation hanging over his head. Then you compound that with the fact that he had the, the off the court health issues last season that prevented him from being on the team, prevented him from being with the team and, and at the NCAA tournament last year. And, and, he, and he's talked a lot about how, you know, that kind of opened his eyes to, hey, you know, not coaching is actually just not fun, and it's not something that I'm interested in doing. You know, I think Bill Self 10, 15 years ago would have, you know, there's been talks about how he maybe would have, would have stepped away early, but uh, I don't know. It feels like the combination of, of him missing out on the end of the 2022-23 season due to the health issues plus the the situation with the IARP and, and that case finally closing, it feels like it's really kick-started Bill Self for what could potentially be uh, you know the next four, five, six years of, of really him at his peak in terms of his energy and in terms of his motivation and in terms of his uh, want to to bring KU to, to, to new heights, right? And he can definitely do that. I mean, if you go out and you win another national title or even two national titles in the next five or six years, you are cemented at that point, I think, as being the top program in the country. And obviously, Bill Self, I think, at that point, can now have some serious discussion as being going as where he would go down as in terms of greatest college coaches of all time, right? So there's obviously some legacy building involved there. But but again, I think just this this idea that missing out on the, on what happened last season with the health issue, plus finally this this IRP investigation coming to a close, feels like maybe Bill Self has been free a little bit, and he feels a little bit more, a little bit more motivated. Right. And, and you think, you know, if you want to take the analogy of, OK, well, if you're saying basically the past five years, Bill Self's been playing, been playing with one hand tied behind his back and look at what he's done. He's been he's made, a, you know, elite eights, final fours, won a national title in 2022. 
what's he going to be able to do now that he does feel this way, that he does feel free, that he does feel like he can go out and, and really, really put the, put the pedal to the metal and, and do even more. Uh, it's, it's, I would say it's a scary prospect for, for maybe some other, uh, top programs around the country that, that, that Bill Self maybe feels even more energized, even more reinvigorated, even more motivated to go out and, and continue to, to thrive at the top of college basketball. So, I mean, that was that again, I think that kind of all wrapped up into one thing with the, with the recruiting, with the IARP, with the 2022 tournament uh, situation that kind of came out as well. Uh, that was maybe the most, the, the most interesting thing that stuck out to me uh, throughout all of the comments that he made uh, about being re-energized and all that. He also, also one of the big storylines uh, of the of the day with Bill Self was figuring out who's going to be starting at the two position for KU, right? I think it's pretty clear that uh, KU has their four four of their five starters completely locked in. Hunter Dickinson, K.J. Adams, Dewan Harris, Kevin McCullough. Those four guys are going to be, for sure, your starters, game in and game out, game out barring any injury. But of course, that fifth spot now kind of up for up for up for grabs a little bit, right? I mean, in the wake of uh, Arterio Morris being removed from the team, it, it's opened up an opportunity for for that spot to be up for grabs. And I think the general consensus was it's a battle between El Marco Jackson and Nick Timberlake, right? El Marco Jackson, uh, Bill Self described him as raw, but also the best athlete on the team. So. You know, you wonder if he's the guy that maybe builds into his 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 role a little bit. And with the way KU schedule is built, with a lot of these tough games early in the season, yeah, it does kind of make you wonder: Is Bill Self going to be willing to just throw out El, you know El Marco Jackson to the wolves? Really, that's not really been his mo in the past. You know, unless you are a Josh Jackson type or an Andrew Wiggins type or something like that. So. I don't know. I'll be curious to see how Marco Jackson is is utilized, especially early in the season. You wonder if Bill Self might defer to Nick Timberlake, who's a more experienced player. But, but again, with the experience of Nick Timberlake, that was at Townsend, right? I mean, he doesn't have necessarily the experience playing in in elite level basketball. Maybe that that KU is going to be playing in early in the season. So that spot definitely seems like it's it's up for grabs. And he actually gave Jamari McDowell some love as well, which I thought was a bit interesting. Uh, and he also said, you know, hey, when we've got nine scholarship guys, all nine are going to play. So I think it's pretty clear that KU is going to be utilizing all nine guys uh, early in the season, you know, uh, based on, you know, with your bench, it'll be one of El Marco Jackson, Nick Timberlake, Jamar McDowell, Johnny Furphy, Parker Brown, like all those guys it seems like are going to be having some sort of role, uh, which, you know, I think – Again, going into it, it felt like the the, the two spot was going to be either Marco, or Marco Jackson or, or Nick Timberlake. And now with Bill Self kind of talking up Jamar McDowell a little bit, you wonder how much maybe Jamar McDowell might have a chance to get some serious minutes at that position as well. And kind of further along with that, Bill Self did highlight, you know, the fact that injuries could be something that could be a real issue for this team. Right, this team has to stay healthy. You can't afford to lose really anybody. Uh, and something that wasn't brought up, but that 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 kind of stood out to me about that comment was you look at a guy like Kevin McCuller who has really had injuries throughout every season of his career that's caused him to miss some games here and there you know or had nagging injuries and that's not really something KU can afford to deal with I think for a long time uh in a with with the team they currently have right unless Johnny Furphy ends up just being significantly better significant uh, way faster than you expected so yeah I, I don't know I thought that was interesting the Jamari McDowell stuff and, and bringing him up as, as it relates to that to that situation and then a lot of talk about Hunter Dickinson, obviously, as well. Bill Self talked about Hunter Dickinson's selflessness and how he's a guy that people want to people want to play with because they know that uh, that he's a really really quality player. Kind of alluded to him, kind of alluded to uh, Yudoka Azubuki as well uh, when, when when talking about Hunter Dickinson of just having a guy on the floor where everybody else on the team recognizes we have the best player 
out of anybody, out of both teams on the floor. Uh, he is he's the best player, and so that that kind of instills some confidence in uh, you know the rest of your team as well, right? So so Dickinson obviously is is a guy that's going to be someone to keep an eye on. And he won't be hard to miss, right? At seven foot one, and, and probably making a lot of plays. And Bill Self talked about how uh, Hunter Dickinson is is the most polished offensive player. But in classic Bill Self fashion, he did bring up a bunch of things that that Hunter Dickinson needs to work on to get better at. But but yeah, Hunter Dickinson, I think is is certainly going to be the the centerpiece of this team. And there was an interesting question asked to Bill Self about basically the fact that. You know, hey, you've got guys that maybe might be dudes on any other team, uh, all on one team. So how do you make that work? And and Bill Self pushed back on that pretty heavily, I would say. You know, he basically said, you know, Dewan Harris wouldn't be the guy on any other team. KJ Adams wouldn't really be the guy on the other team. And he, and he he basically said, you know, we've got a bunch of players that are really, really, really good in their roles, but that this is going to be a team that's going to be centered around Hunter Dickinson. So I thought that was kind of interesting that Bill Self basically said, you know, hey, we've got some really, really talented players, but Hunter Dickinson is probably still the number one guy uh, on this team for KU. So lots of talk about uh, about Hunter Dickinson and, and kind of what his his role is. And then the other thing that really stood out to me that I wanted to, to talk about here briefly was uh, Bill Self talking about the 20-game the season or the 20-game conference season, I should say, for KU for KU and the Big 12, the 20-game conference schedule and how that's kind of the plan going forward in the Big 12. Uh, Brett Yormark talked about that earlier, earlier in the week. And so – uh, he basically said, "Hey, you know that doesn't leave out very many games that KU can schedule against uh, sort of lower competition, right? Because he talked about how they've already got the the Missouri schedule, the Missouri game schedule. Then you got the Champions Classic. You mentioned Mexico City games. Plus, you know, you figure you're going to be in a Thanksgiving week tournament if you're KU every year." And, Basically said, hey, you know that that doesn't lead to very many games that you can schedule that are going to maybe be quote unquote buy games, right? You know, your 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 North Dakota states of the world uh, and things like that that KU some has has on their schedule, your Harvards and things like that. So, uh, you know, he did kind of basically say, hey, you know, we might need to rethink how we make our schedule because we're going to be playing in so many top tier games throughout the whole season and that basically you know maybe the expectation shouldn't be that we are going to be as dominant during the regular season and that we just need to focus more on being the best team when it comes to February and March so and honestly I was a little surprised by that because I feel like that's how Bill Self's strategy is every year it feels like to me that that's kind of how how he sets things up every year is he wants to be the best team in February and March regardless of what happens in the regular season obviously still wanting to go out and you know win the Big 12 and win Big 12 games but I thought that was kind of a, a little uh, interesting comment there as well from uh, Bill Self. So that's just a little bit that I kind of gleaned from uh, Big 12 Media Days with, with Bill Self and with KU Basketball yesterday at, at Big 12 Media Day. We're obviously going to have plenty more discussion throughout uh, the rest of the show today and tomorrow as well, uh, talking more Big 12 Media Days. We, we got a chance to catch up with a bunch of different guests as well at Big 12 Media Day, get some short little interviews with some different national writers and, and people from around the college basketball landscape that were in uh, in Kansas City for Big 12 Media Day. So we're going to be, we've already been playing a couple of those. We're going to play some more throughout the rest of the show tomorrow as well coming up we had a chance to catch up with Andy Katz Derek had a chance to catch up with uh, Andy Katz uh, at Big 12 Media Day yesterday to get uh, his perspective on KU and the Big 12 we'll get to that interview coming up next so this is RCST on KLWN 
You are listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST 1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast.